0: Welcome to Am. My name is Richard Conway, and this is the platform for age group multi sport athletes to showcase their journeys. come along. It's great to be back. Those two weeks have absolutely flown by. Um, We're now into September. thought the weather was going to go for a a big nosedive, but this week we've uh, had some really decent weather. So on this month's episode, we have vegan entrepreneur and competitive athlete, Lisa Gawthorn. And Lisa... um, Has represented Team GB in European and World Duathlon Championships since 2017. And she tells us of her experience um, from a non sporting background as a child growing up um, and how she got into running and then through injury how she got into riding a bike. And um, somebody mentioned that, oh, maybe you should put the two together. And she tells us how she got into duathlon. And then on to the GB and the European the world stage so great story and we talk a little bit about veganism at the end and she's an absolute oracle of knowledge um, and it's a really good lesson so I hope you enjoy that this last fortnight's gone really quickly can't believe it we're doing another podcast already I finally made the decision to pull out of the ETU triathlon over in Valencia um, we figured out that not fit enough, um, injury still not good. I finally bit the bullet and um, got a doctor's appointment and I've since uh, been along the physio um, and I'm just awaiting an appointment for treatment uh, on the back of my knee. gives a few exercises to stretch out and and keep doing. So, yeah, unfortunately, won't be going there this year. Just didn't okay, think I could do it justice. So, decided to pull out. But still been doing a bit of swimming. Um, we went open water swimming again at Ocean Walker's um, venue over in rugby near us. Uh, fantastic venue. i still pursuing the different style of, uh, style of swimming that Adam Walker himself um, showed us. So... Cracking on with that. Got to get another couple of hours booked in with Adam to uh, see what he thinks and give us some more pointers and try and improve the stroke even further, but enjoying it at the moment, so that's pretty good. Uh, Actually went out on the TT bike on Sunday, so we're supposed to be doing the Dambuster. Mrs C was going to do the whole try. However, she slammed the garden gate on her hand so now she can't ride a bike because she can't hold the handlebars. So we decided that, we, as I can't run and she can't ride a bike, we would be a great team as usual. So I'm going to do the bike leg of uh, the Dambuster, which is this Saturday, I believe. So thought I'd better get out on the uh, TT bike and give it a go. See how I get on. Done quite a lot of Zwifting, but I haven't been out on the bike that much to be honest. And. Um, been listening to a few podcasts, some good ones, over the last couple of weeks. One of my favourites is uh, Helen Murray's The Insider Tri Show. Uh, she has some great great conversations on there and a uh, really, really good listen usually. And uh, the one I've listened to recently is uh, pro athlete Kimberly Morrison who was disappointed that Kona was um, postponed this year and she's gone on and I think she decided that she was doing the Norseman, which I believe has already happened. I haven't caught up to see how she's doing, but uh, but that was a good show. Um, was listening to What's Occurring by Gerard Thomas, the cyclist, and Luke Rowe, uh, and they discuss all things cycling. So that's that's pretty good as well. I enjoy that. Uh, you get the lowdown on and the inside in, information on uh, Team Ineos and the races that they're in. Uh, and it's just two mates, two cycling professional mates having a chat. Um, but really funny, really entertaining. Don't usually pull any punches. And, uh, yeah, if you're into cycling, it's uh, it's quite a good one to listen to. And the last one that I've been listening to uh, quite a long time is uh, Nutritional Facts with Dr. Gregor. Um, and he's all about health and uh, well-being. And he discusses all things nutritional research and... Um, from things like effects of avocado on inflammation um and he's even got a lot of healthy recipes on there so that's uh, he's on youtube as well so he's it's he's got loads of videos on youtube and um yeah he's it's he all for free and he's uh, it's pretty good if you're into nutrition and what what it does to you so that's a that's a cool thing also was finished watching the welter cycling Primus Roglic has won that for the third time in a row. Absolutely smashed it. Nobody was near him and that was really good. Well, the last week was the best. Uh, watched the uh, Super League and the triathlon the weekend and that was good fun. What a laugh that is. Um, and the Brits did well. The The girls were like four out of the top five, so that was fantastic to see. Jess Lamont won the whole thing for the ladies. Uh and they had a bit of a different dimension on it this time because they were all put into teams as well so not only were they racing for themselves but they were racing for points for teams so but that was uh that was really fun so if you haven't watched that uh, see if you can catch up on it you can I think you watch it on iPlayer um so yeah that was good fun finally just watching started watching which the, the Vuelta finished and the Tour of Britain's just started so unfortunately it's not coming anywhere near me it goes from Cornwall and um, pretty much Wales and then finishes in Scotland. I think they do they do go across from Cumbria to Newcastle and then they finish up in Aberdeen. So it is a right tour of Britain. Uh, so some big names like Mark Cavendish and uh, Julian Alaphilippe, the world champion, are there. Um, so yeah, that should be a good race. So I'll be watching that this week. Yeah, I think that's basically it. Finally, um, my lifestyle hack at the end of the podcast is going to be about sprouting seeds. Um, So, yeah, I hope you enjoy all that. And, yeah, I think that's about it. So I shall, um, we'll get on with the main event, which is Lisa Gawthorne. And I shall see you on the other side. Thank you very much for agreeing to do this. I know you're very busy with everything that you've got going on. Much appreciated. I think we'd best start off with a little bit of your background growing up as a kid and sporting activities. That would be a good place to start. <laughs> Are you based in Liverpool?
1: Yeah, yeah just outside Liverpool in um, in the coastal town of Formby. Um, right. So right, li- literally the beach is 800 metres away from my front door.
0: Cool, nice. Sounds idyllic.
1: <laughs> it's good for women, definitely.
0: Yeah, I bet it is, yeah. So what did you do as a kid then, as sporting, sporting wise?
1: Do you know what? I actually truth be told, I wasn't all that sporty when I was a kid. Um I went to quite a strict grammar school, step grammar school, and um the sports were really kind of on us there were things like hockey and netball um and tennis. Uh, and um, I really didn't enjoy any of them being completely honest um, I think uh, it was quite difficult because unfortunately we didn't have a big focus on running in our school um, It was, as I say it was very much uh, hockey for the girls and rugby for the boys um, so I really didn't although I've always been kind of active and I did a lot of walking and um, my house was two and a half miles away from the school and I'd walk there and back every day so I've always had that kind of uh, active gene uh, definitely in the um, in the main set, but I think I really didn't get into uh, fitness and, and gym work probably until I started kind of going to university um, because it was at that time when I thought it was it's quite a nice way to to battle with anxiety um, and to give me a bit of uh, freedom in between prepping for exams and, and doing dissertations and things like that and I really kind of reap the benefits from that I thought it was a, a little stress-free zone to just escape into um, so yeah so started running uh, in, the, in the kind of early noughties um, and then didn't really get picked up to go running for a club until about 2007. Um, I did a local 10k and finished in it. And then it was approached uh, by Liverpool Pembroke Safton, the running club that I'm with to this day. Um, and I can't really uh, say anything other than it was the best thing I ever did joining the running club because my times just came down, you know, immeasurably. Um, you know, sort of my first fight, my first 10K, I think it was 51 minutes. I've got that down to 38 40 as a PB. E. Um my five K down to 1839 as well. So it's been fantastic, you know, just to be around like minded uh, people. But yeah, it's not really the classical way because I wasn't pushed down the sports. when I was younger. And as I say, there was the sports I just really wasn't involved in with things like that, the hockey and that ball routes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the academic side was taking precedence over. Anything else, I guess. What did you do at university?
1: Um, I did a degree in uh, business studies and uh, majoring in marketing as well. So it was a four year sandwich degree at uh, Limpool John Morse. And right. um, so it was um, two years in university and then it was a year out in industry where I cut my teeth in the, the marketing world and uh, worked for uh, Chirits as a marketing executive. And then went back to finish my last year in uni, my fourth year where I did my dissertation on new product development, so I mean, I am quite a nerd, if, if I'm being honest, I'm very <laughs> kind of studious, so I was uh, pretty happy to come up with a first-class honours degree in uh, in business studies and marketing, so that was a, a pretty cool thing to do, and to be honest, I've carried on my learning as well, I've done various postgrad certificates uh, through the IGD and through um, Goldman Sachs and the likes and things like that, because uh, I just, I really do love learning. I think that, you know, knowledge is power, as we always say. And I mean, all my my uh, business kind of experience, I I decided to stay within the Northwest, didn't want to go down to London, uh, where a lot of graduates uh, actually migrated down to London, but I stayed in the Northwest, so I worked for, for Chewitt's. So I also worked for Vimto, uh, the soft drinks company. I worked for Premier Foods as well. So... I've uh, done a lot of marketing on things like jammy Dodgers and Cabby Fingers and Vimto and Chewets and everything, and obviously amassing all of those skills uh, in, in confectionery and children's products and um, impulse products. It's just given me the perfect platform where me to go out on my own and, and to develop some of those products uh, for, in, in a better way and, and in better formats. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll get to that in a little bit, but we'll go back to, to your running. So they're fantastic times that you've that you've just said that you've achieved. And I totally agree with you about running for, with a club, because that brought me on no end. Although I was in a tri-club, I joined an athletics club as well, uh, as I've said before on the on the pod. And it did. It just it brought me on so much. So that's one piece of advice for any tri-athletes out there. You know, go and join an athletics club if there's one local, because it's it's a great thing to do Um, yeah so so from from the running how did you get into triathlon then well funny enough i've never done a triathlon I was just going to say, I'll I'll re rephrase that question. <laughs> How did you get into duathlon? <laughs>
1: um, so the reason why I've never done a triathlon is because I'm the worst swimmer ever. You just wouldn't want to see me in the swimming pool; it's a nightmare. Um, but I got into duathlon. funnily enough, strangely, through uh, through in- injury, and I've met quite a lot of people that have got into duathlon through injury. So. Prior to 2016, I was just running, running every day, and doing heavy mileage, and getting injured left, right, and centre because we was just doing too much on the legs, um, and wasn't really giving my body that much time to recover. And then, so much so, in December of 2016, I had a small knee operation, just an arthroscopy to shape off some of the fat pad on the knee that was impinging on the movements. And my physio and my whole recovery from that particular uh, operation was six months of um getting stronger on the bike and getting the muscles to actually move again by using the bike um, wow. now the weather at the time here in uh, in Bournemouth wasn't great so i didn't fancy going out on the road so i bought myself a what bike i read a lot about them, and um, again, being a bit of a nerd, I like the fact that I had all the data to analyse and stuff, so um, I started to rehab on the bike, and obviously in the early days it was it was quite slow, and it was all about getting the muscle moving, on. but then I kind of fell in love with cycling and a whole new world that I didn't even realise it was there for me, because I was so focused for many years on just running 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 um and that's all you, you get taught at a running club as well um but i kind of just fell in love with it so i brought my first road bike um in 2016. and then i thought to myself Do you know what i wonder if there's a sport that combines these two epic sorry yes yeah, sport that combines these two epic disciplines uh, and then i just realized there was and it was called you one <laughs> So um, I entered my first year, it was just a, a go try event at Manchester Airport, All um, right. just, just literally to dip my toe in the water and to see what it would be like and um, I loved it, I absolutely loved it. it, it just felt so much more exhilarating and thrilling than just running a race. Uh, you know, obviously a lot goes into running a race, and I'm not not taking that away from runners because I'm one myself. But there's something very magical about doing a run, then hopping onto a bike, and then doing another run. For me, it's just so much more of a challenge and so much more thrilling. So, um, having done that particular race, I think I finished second of that race, second female. Um, I decided then to uh, to go to one of the ones at um, Bolton Park which was um, a European qualifier, actually. Um, so in my first real duathlon outside of an go event, I ended up qualifying for oh, the Europeans, which were held in sorry in 2017. And then a couple of months later I did the same down in, I think it was Bedford uh, and qualified for the Worlds, which were held in uh, in Canada. And since then, because the British Tri-Circuit is so epic and there's so many cool people around and the races are amazing, you get to go to some cool places, so I've just kept it in my repertoire. Uh, and I've loved the whole journey of getting faster on the bike, getting stronger on the bike, uh, watching what it does to the time, seeing how the two sports can bounce off each other bringing in some weight training to that as well. Um, and uh, and that really is how I actually got into duathlon. Just if I wouldn't have got injured, um, I don't know if I ever would have gone down that road because I think I would have just yeah. carried on just running. So yeah. it was really good for me. And the beauty about it now is that, fortunately, I carry less injuries or fewer injuries because um, I'm splitting it up. So a day on bike, a day running, a day on bike, a day running, rather than that constant need to be out on the pavement every day. Yeah.
0: Yeah, isn't it strange how things work out? Like you said, if it wasn't for an injury, you would never have got to to do the multi sport of duathlon.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so, had you heard of when you did your first one, and then you said you qualified at Alton Park? Had you done any more before that? And how no. did you find out? How did you find out about um, age group then?
1: So there was a, a really nice, friendly girl, the girl that finished first at the go try event in Manchester. And she came over and talked to me afterwards and she said, oh, you need to, you need to go and do to park, you know, you'll, you'll have a great time there. And she actually mentions it's also a European qualifier. Um, and at that point, um, I decided to join a local tri-club called Mersey Tri, and then they gave me a bit of advice on it. Um, and I pieced together the, um, the parts of what that lady had told me and what Mersey Tri told me. And then obviously had a little look around the British triathlon website and thought, this is a bit of
0: me, this. And then went from there with it. Yeah, that's brilliant. Because it is that investigation. I mean, so many people who've been on have, have asked that question and it's it's usually the same answer. They've either found somebody's mentioned it or somebody somebody in a race has been wearing a GB tri-suit and thinking they've yeah. gone up to them and asked them, you know what I mean? So it's yeah. usually, it's not, I said to Nicky Dick a few episodes ago, it's not blatantly obvious that it's a thing to people. You know what I mean? Unless you know you're in a tri club or it's not that, which is a shame really, because I think it would, you know, there must be some way of getting it just out there, you know, to the public and not triathlons, obviously more well-known a lot of people don't know about duathlon or aquathon or aquabike, you know and they're all sports all right you know um yeah. So, yeah 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 it's it's it needs to be a bit more a bit more broadcasted i think and definitely
1: back. whenever i speak to anyone about it i always i never just say i do duathlon because people look at me like that so i always say i do duathlon which is run bike, run yeah, yeah, <laughs> because yeah. without yeah. that you just get a bland kind of look that's
0: right yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that's pretty good. I was at Sorrier as well. It was um, it was a bit of a strange location, wasn't it? And a and not very good weather either, I believe.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. I think we
0: were quite lucky because it didn't start snowing till the standard race. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> you do it the spring.
1: Uh, I did the sprint yeah and you know what for that for that first year for me it was all just about finding my feet uh meeting people um understanding how the community works didn't put any pressure on myself um I think it came 16th of my age group um and it was just really about understanding how it all works and obviously sorry for, for, for the sprint um athletes it was a massive hill climb as well so it's about uh doing a bit of hill training before we went out there and and understanding you know from from that point on what it actually meant just to not tr- uh, go around here on the flat in form but, um and canada was a bit different yes there were hills but um the scenery kind of uh, made it so much more of a distraction so i did a lot better in canada and each year what i've been really trying to do is i don't really put myself in um in a pressured environment where I think to myself I've got a podium or I want to finish within the top so I just think to myself I just got to do my best and wherever that brings me out is wherever it brings me out and it just so happens that that mentality has meant if you plot my progress over the last four years I haven't got fitter I haven't got faster and I've got better placements. Yeah,
0: great. So have you qualified since Canada then?
1: yes yeah every year so uh, the second year i did um uh, i did the europeans actually I, I had a little go at the european um cross uh, duathlon i had a go at the cross in uh, ibiza which because I, I love my mountain bike and i go in i go in the woods here on the mountain bike a lot so i did that and that was a real real hard race to do i mean i just couldn't believe the um the inclines we were looking at and having to ride over boulders bigger than the head was just like, whoa, this is very different to the road. I Um, believe
0: Nikki Nikki Dick was racing there as well. And she said that she hadn't looked at the course, but the people who had looked at the course previous were like really fretting about it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it was quite, to be honest, that was quite, um, it was intimidating for me because, I mean, it, it's just so different. People think, oh yeah, well I do it on the road, I'll be okay Now I'll be able, be, be able to just transition. And yes, to a certain extent, some of the handling skills are the same, but you can't prepare yourself for, you know, some of the sections. Men were actually chucking the bike on the shoulder and actually running around with it. And it's just like, wow, Um, you know, you're going two mile an hour up a hill, you know, versus 22, 23 mile an hour on the flat. So that was quite um, character building, but I enjoyed it. And you know what, I might actually do another one in the future because I did enjoy it. And because it was so hard and so tough, uh, mentally I think you grow from it um, and physically you come out with some real good gains from that knowing that you push your body to a whole new level so so I did the Europeans um, in Ibiza and then I did the Wells in Denmark in Finn um, which was great you know great location um, yeah. and again um lots of uh, community stuff going on there and again got faster that year i can't remember my placement but it was definitely i think it was top 10 uh for uh for finn which was fantastic yeah, um yeah. yeah and then the third year went out to um um we did uh transylvania uh so oh, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah what was yeah yeah yeah
0: really good um, really enjoyed that yeah
1: it was amazing wasn't it yeah. it was really really amazing the highlight for me at that particular race was um spending time with um the absolute legends, that was morris young as well um 100%. he was just amazing honestly i actually said to to, to glenn there, bevins who was the team manager at the time i, like, I actually want to adopt him i want to yeah. adopt him as like my granddad or something she's because he was amazing the, the nicest person i've ever met in sport so well-mannered so professional and so friendly and i was so proud to to be there when a video him coming through and i was there to literally give him so much uh, support and i was the first person to give him a hug when he came over the line and you know that'll be something in sport that will stay with me for the rest of my life man
0: was just he was so so amazing and such an inspiration Um, and that made my race that literally was worth going out there for it. he was was say i met morris uh before my first race for gb in soria okay he was such a calming influence before that race it was just such a gentle man
1: yeah it was
0: just so calming and yeah he was just like you said you know once met never forgotten
1: absolutely 100 percent and then that that particular year um the worlds were in spain again actually they were in Pontevedra, um which was another uh tough sprint course with uh with quite a big hill Um but again um got got much more i think i ended up being eighth uh, or, or maybe even seventh either seventh, seventh eighth or ninth there uh, um so that was really good and then obviously 2020 the year of Covid happened, so obviously everything was cancelled, but I was fortunate to be in the team that went away to um, Ponderumbria. Yeah, I was there um, as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember. So um, yeah. we, we were very fortunate to get away, we really were. Um, we were. I mean, literally, I think a day or two after we landed, everything was closed and locked down and that was it, Good night, God bless. So we did very well and actually, strangely, that was my uh, strongest uh, position, I think. Do you know, what? I'm terrible for a member in all my positions, but I think it was even sixth in that, sixth or, six or seventh um, yeah. major. So I've been climbing down. and climbing up the ladder all the time.
0: Yeah, brilliant.
1: brilliant. Um, yeah, and then we're on to this year now, where obviously we unfortunately have the Europeans cancelled in... Um, yeah. In Targa Morris which was obviously a loss, but we you know rolled it over till next year. And then we've got the um, the Worlds in uh, in September, the new wells that was the Worlds in Holland is now the Worlds in Spain, uh, first week in November, which obviously I'm looking forward to.
0: Yeah, cool. It's good. So you've had a good a good run
1: yeah absolutely just just being very addicted to it to be honest mm. i'm addicted to it not just because of what it does for you as a support as a, a sport but for the people that are around it i've met some of the some of the most amazing people uh, obviously i've already mentioned morris but just the community vibe that, that goes on in multi-sport i find um and some might think i'm speaking out of term here but i find multi-sport is so much more friendly than just running um I've heard that so said
0: before.
1: Yeah, I really do. It's people I find people are more approachable. There's a real positive vibe. Everyone wants to help each other. Um, and To me, it's like going on holiday with a big gang <laughs> of your mates every time. But <laughs> yeah. really well, we always like... make a
0: holiday out of it, to be honest. So.
1: Exactly, yeah. We're the same. I always try and drag my boyfriend with me. Um, my sister's coming with me, actually, in November this year. I always have to yeah. bring someone to carry the bags, but uh, we always make some kind of holiday out of it. So you get the best of both worlds. You've got a holiday yeah. and a race, which is Absolutely. perfect. Yeah,
0: Yeah perfect perfect, are you coached at the moment then do you have you just coached yourself through it all I know you said you were in like the athletics club and the tri club, Um, other than those coaches, do you have your own coach.
1: Yes I do, so I'm coached by um, a gentleman called Ian Roberts um, and Ian actually uh, I've met with Ian at Liverpool pembroke um, and he's a, he's a great cyclist, a great runner um, and has been on multiple circuits over the years um, and he's got a business called Prime uh, Prime Triathlon Coaching so um, I'm with Ian and uh, I've been with Ian really since the start in one guy's or another um, he's a great guy he, he puts up with the fact that I'm non-contactable quite a lot of the time because I'm either travelling on business or working on big projects. Um, you know, he just gives me the sessions, I do them and um, I see good results from them. And to be honest, I I, I, I wouldn't be where I am now without Ian's coaching um, because I can coach myself to a certain extent on the run scene because I've been doing it for so long um, alongside my coach, Mark Breesdale, at Pembroke Sefton, but... Uh, Banking is a whole new area. Uh, And I do think that you need that kind of coach in the background, pushing you and giving you new sessions. And, you know, when I first met Ian and he started to talk to me about we need to test out your FTP and this, that, and the other, he was talking to me in a whole new language. And I was like, oh my God, what is this? All I know is the minute mile. So um, (laughs) I think getting to to meet a coach and, and getting to actually understand the terminology and how that kind of transforms into the bigger race picture. Has been absolutely essential, um, and we've got some really, really good, good, strong athletes in prime, and, and I'm looking forward to, to continuing to fly the flag for them moving forward.
0: Good, yeah, yeah. Most the most triathletes that have been on our multi-sports, have been on our coach, to be fair, um, yeah, or have been in some some guys or the other. Um, so, what's your favourite race been? Um
1: the risk of sounding repetitive I think because of uh, the, the opportunity of getting to know Morris out in um, Romania uh, and also the the beauty, the beautiful settings of Romania and getting out and seeing Dracula's Castle and things like that. I think that that would be one of the most memorable certainly not the most enjoyable from a personal performance point of view because I pulled my calf in the first kilometre of the, the first 5k which was horrendous I had to run round for another 4k with a, a calf that felt like a piece of wood um and how i finished that race even to this day and i look at all the photos of me finishing it, and i'm just grimacing it was it was so so painful but yeah. you know an hour later i was it's so elated to watch morris come through the line and it was like all oh, my worries had just gone so it was a bittersweet kind of day yeah. so i'd say that was probably one of the most memorable but i think in terms of my favorite probably would have been canada um like- Because it was just, it was just unreal, it was, you know, to actually be out on a bike and to see deer eating peaches off trees, um, to to see the wonderful lakes and to um, hear about all the local wildlife, obviously I'm a massive um, animal activist, so anything to do with wildlife and animals just really captures my imagination, so I think that was just so, so, so memorable. And um, yeah, I just, I got to meet loads of really, really great people on that. Claire Hall, who was obviously a double goal medalist uh, from last year. Um, you know, we were, we were racing quite closely together at that event. and. Um, it was just definitely one of those kind of surreal moments. One minute I was on a sun lounger having a non-alcoholic cocktail, the next minute I was doing the spring marathon. So it was uh, it was pretty uh, pretty magic, to be honest.
0: Oh, good, yeah, great answer, great answer. And that's what age group's all about, isn't it? And and multi-sport in general, you're just making so many memories, aren't you? You look yeah. back and it's just it's just fantastic. And I think that's why it's addictive and you get the bug and you just want to do it again and again, you know. It's-
1: Definitely. I think if you love travel and you love sports, you, you, you know, this kind of option is perfect for you. It will cost you a lot of money because obviously you've got to travel a lot and buy all the kit, but it is worth it. And I always look at the, um, I make these photo books each year as a Christmas present for boyfriends and um they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger because we're going to (laughs) so many events (laughs) and like you say it's full of such magical memories that if I wasn't involved in multi-sports I wouldn't have any of those memories and I wouldn't have met all these amazing people and I am inspired by every single person I meet on the multi-sport journey because I always believe there's something you can learn from someone else whether it's how humble they are or how much effort they put into their training or how they juggle being a mum or a new father with training or juggling business, you know there's always Everyone's got their own personal challenges and I am just bowled over and inspired by everyone that I meet on the multi sport circuit because it takes a lot to juggle disciplines with everything else that's going on in, in personal lives.
0: Yeah, that's so true. I mean, since I've started this podcast, meeting all these great people and the stories, and they've all got a story, and they're all different. They're just, like you've just said, they're just so inspiring. It's just really yeah. Yeah. What's your favourite bit of kit?
1: You know, I'm probably going to sound like a robot here, but I love my Nike vapour flies. I absolutely love them. Uh, I think uh, they, they're great in terms of the, the cushion and the bounce, uh, but they just, for me, when I put them on, I feel like it's everything. <laughs> 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 yeah, it just gives me such a spring forward. So it's either my, my Nike baby flies or I've just recently invested in the ASICS. Um, metaspeed sky which are unbelievable as well also carbon plate and all foam etc i'm actually racing in them tonight oh,
0: um
1: nice. at 5k mid cheshire but uh they it would be like if i had one thing to do it would be taking either one of those pairs of trainers uh somewhere with me because i just think that they're fantastic
0: nice yeah it's usually either trainers or um or a bike that's the most common answer to that question <laughs>
1: Yeah. Do you know what? I should have really, I should have really just thought about that because it's a, it's a close tie, obviously, with my new TT bike. My uh, my boyfriend bought me the new Liv um, of our Pro Advance uh, TT bike from my from my birthday in May, so it's the equivalent of the, the Giant Trinity, and it is just an absolute beast. Um, so I think that that's, in fairness, that's good to <laughs> look <laughs> Yeah, yeah, nice one, nice one.
0: So what? What are your favorite books, blogs, resources that you use for um, helping you out in multi-sport?
1: Um, Blogs-wise, I tend to just keep up to speed with, well, your podcast for one of them, um, because you learn a hell of a lot. Um, and like you said, you know, everyone's got their own inspiring stories, so I always listen to this podcast. Um, and I keep up to speed with, obviously, I'm, Very pro-vegan in the world of uh, vegan athletics. So I keep up to speed with a lot of inspiring vegans on uh, greatveganathletes.com and also uh, vegan runners um, and things like that. Um, I look a lot of what um, the vegan sporting community are doing on on plant-based news as well. Uh, My boyfriend's actually just brought me a a brand new book uh, on multi-sport and on multi-sport coaching kind of plans and stuff. So I'll have a look at that one next to my... Well, yeah, I'd say that podcast yours has got to be up there with one of the most inspiring because it's real. Uh, everyone's got real stories, and I think that that's a big thing too. Oh, who's this?
0: <laughs> Sorry, she's making a bit of a fuss. This is oh, Betty. She's gorgeous. Yeah, she's making a bit of a fuss. I think I'm just gonna to have to open the bathroom door. Let her have a drink. Don't <laughs> <Go for> it. <laughs> Yeah, It's oh. just. Uh, she bangs a tail when she wants me attention against the wall.
1: Oh, she's That's a dog. She's a
0: cross between an Alsatian and an old English sheepdog. Oh,
1: fantastic! She's gorgeous. She yeah, is absolutely um, she's
0: a darling. Sorry, go on.
1: <laughs> no, no, you can. Um, and the other thing is, I just keep up to speed with uh, things that are on British Triathlon as well. I find that the British Triathlon site is probably one of the most uh, frequently visited sites for me just to have a look at fixtures um, and sort to have a look at how people are doing the races. And there's a lot of good advice on there. Um, and I follow them on Instagram and, and Facebook as well because they we do put up videos and they offer a lot of advice and stuff. So I'd say that, that that's it, really. I mean, I'm a big, I don't really believe in information overload. I think that if you've got good coaching and you've got your, your equipment right and you're doing the right things, you're eating the right things, um, you can e- easily do kind of analysis, uh, paralysis by analysis. Uh, and I'm more of a, a kind of a fan of selective kind of reading on that front. Yeah,
0: yeah. Keeping it as simple as possible. Eh?
1: Yeah, yeah, because I think we've got enough to to worry about on race day and uh, on the prep for race day that you can just you, you can be lost all day. I'm sure you know everyone would agree that you can easily get lost in all these things every single day. But it's about having the time and thinking about what really what really matters to you with regards to your personal training plan. Yeah,
0: perfect, perfect. So last one on the sporting uh, front. What are your short term and your long term goals for multi multisport? So for
1: multi-sport, well, at the moment, what I've been doing is I've just been doing a few sort of stepping stone uh, events and and races on the the run front. So what I've been doing is my plan this year has been I've been doing kind of uh, entering 5Ks and 10Ks, doing the 1500s and things like that to try and get my 5K time nice and sharp. And then the big thing for me is I'm I'm a fairly strong runner, but um, I need to still continue to put work in on the bike. So it was only this year that I started doing TTs um, and, uh, you know, I've been doing quite well on my TTs. I, I, I would like to get my TT for 10 mile um, into the 25s. Currently, it's at 2604 because um, I think that will help me massively with regards to the short term and the medium and long term with regards to, to multi-sport progress um and in multi-sport as a a total really i just want to go out to a a village in spain i just want to do my best that's all i ever do um i don't put myself under any pressure to think i've got to finish here there or anywhere i want to do my best i want to run as fast as i can i want to bike as strong as i can uh, and finish up the hell's head high knowing that i've put everything in really because you know the big the big challenge for me is i have to trouble uh multi-sport with um with business the business takes up a hell of a lot of my time and um, so i'm very fortunate to to be able to get out for one on the dinner hour or to do some biking after work and and if it can fit racing in on top of that then that's a big plus
0: yeah yeah absolutely you can't you can't forget that actually it's a pastime it's a hobby isn't it and yeah unfortunately it's not it's not something unless well unless you're fortunate enough to be retired age or whatever, then, you know, then you can take it more, even more seriously, but not saying absolutely. That we, not saying that we don't take it seriously because we all do. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's, it must be, must be quite tough. For you as a business owner to, to try and get it fitted in, um, around, you know, that, that priority. So you're doing really, really well. It is. Yeah. So moving on to that then, um, I think my first question is going, going to be, um, How long have you been a vegan, and how did you get into it, and why?
1: Um, Well, I've been vegetarian since age six. Um, So, nineteen eighty-seven, I turned vegetarian. Why Um, was that? Because, believe it or not, I had a leaflet through the door um, that was in. I always used to run to the door whenever the papers came to the door, and I'd always read the paper first um and a leaflet dropped out of one of the papers and it was from um the charity Patter, uh, which obviously is an animal based charity and it was just an informative leaflet but it was done in like a cartoon style format and i was also into cartoon drawing as a child and i did a lot of animation and art and things like that so it resonated with me straight away um and it just basically educated people to to the uh to, to the whole kind of um the, the, the kind of provenance and where where meat and, and, and fish and dairy and everything comes from, uh, and it was at that point. I know I was only young; I was only age six, but there was quite clear diagrams on there that said, you know, if you if you eat beef, it comes from a cow. Uh, you know, if you eat, uh, you know, ham, it comes from a uh, pig, etc. And making that kind of straight transition and understanding, all ah, right, okay, this is the this is the link. I just had a quick chat to my parents about it and it was quite a strong-willed six-year-old <laughs> and i just said is it true mom is it true dad you know are these foods we're eating all the animals um i'm glad my parents they were completely open and honest with me. They said well yeah that they are but that's that's what people kind of do and i just said well it's not what i'm gonna do um you know i love my cat and um, and i don't see any difference in uh, my cat to a pig to a cow to a dog so so, I basically told them I wouldn't be eating any, any meat or fish. And in fairness, we were, we were very, I'd say we were a flexitarian family anyway, when there was very minimal stuff that was put on the plate, but it was always there as an addition. So, my mum's dad just ignored me and thought she's going through a phase, we'll just carry on putting the stuff on the plate. And then we realized, obviously, no, she's not eating it. So, we're going to have to go out and get some alternatives. Now, you can imagine back in 1987, there wasn't a hell of a lot of alternatives on the market. And that was me just being vegetarian not vegan um so I I did uh spend a childhood um and right my teens actually surviving on things like bird's eye vegetable things <laughs> which were one of the only things out there okay. um and it, it was tough it was tough actually so going through school and uh kind of uh, college people kind of thinking you're a little bit strange a little bit hippie and a little bit out there um but I just followed my own path it's, it's always what I wanted to do and I've always felt a real deep, strong connection to animals. Um, and I don't know, maybe it was a gazelle in a previous life, maybe it was took down by a tiger, I don't know, but I, I feel very emotionally connected to them, um, t- to a level that is just, is, is primary what I stand for in life. Um, so, so, yeah, it was always my my kind of plan and my aim to go vegan. Um, more and more that I, I went through my life and thought about the impact on the environment and the impact on the um, my own health and also animals etc I made that transition in 2003 Um, so just when I was uh, coming to the end of my university life Um, and again back in 2003 there wasn't a great deal of vegan foods on the market so you know I was surviving on things just basic stuff like tofu and soy milk were quite hard to get back then and there were specialist shops only certainly not in supermarkets but I uh, stuck with it because you know morally that's what I'm made of um, and I've just loved being able to, to promote that message. So over the years, I've worked closely with um, organisations like PETA um, and Veganuary and the Vegan Society, all of which I'm ambassadors for. Um, and I just love spreading the message that, you know, plant-based eating and vegan eating certainly doesn't hold you back in sport. And as well as being great for the environment and great for the animals, it's great for your health and can actually push forward as an athlete. I know. It is tough, and you'd actually think, you know, we're in the year 2021 now, and there's so many documentaries out that are pushing things forward, you know, the David Attenborough documentaries, a new one that's been narrated by Kate Winslet, everything that's going on about climate change and, and you know, too much livestock and, uh, overproduction of of, of cattle, etc. And um, when you put it out, it, it to me, everything in life is normally come, it normally comes down to a formula. And the formula for me is we are actually at the risk of sounding like you know a tree hugging environmentalist, but you know hey ho, that's what you've got to be if you care about the world these days. Um, if you are you know eating a lot of meat and eating a lot of dairy, uh, you've got to be mindful of the fact that number one, it's not the best thing for the environment. So you're obviously not really environmentally led. Number two, if you've got kids, it's not the best thing that you're doing for their future because the whole idea here is that if you've got kids and younger generations, you want to make their future as bright as possible. Um, but by continuing down that road you're actually making it a a real nasty future for them to live in which I you know I couldn't live with myself if I had kids doing that and number three it's the whole compassionate living really Uh, you know if if you've got pets there's no difference between you know a cat a dog a pig a cow they're all the same they're all sensitive beings so I think that when it comes down to that formula and you speak to people on those basic formulas and you say well you know it's the best thing for the animals your healthy environment then you do get light bulbs. And even if they only get a light bulb for one of those things, if they're personally driven with their health, You know, I'm a vegan nutritionist and qualified as well in that area. So I get a lot of people coming to me and saying, God, it was the best thing I ever did for my skin, or it was the best thing I ever did for my digestion. Well, of course, it's going to be the best thing you do for your digestion because when you go to bed at night, you're not having to process animal foods, So your body's waking up refreshed, which means that it can hit training harder. You're recovering quicker because you've got better phytonutrients in your diet. And you can bamboozle them with all that kind of stuff, but for a lot of people, they have to go on that mini journey first and they have to take that step to seeing a few benefits, getting leaner, becoming faster, sleeping better, feeling more compassionate and feeling like, you know what, I am doing something benevolent before they can then take it to that next step. But you are completely right with regards to your approach and that you shouldn't really ever just do it overnight doing a cold turkey thing is the worst thing ever it's got the highest bounce back rate and you don't give yourself enough time and I always say to people if you are looking at going vegan and I have so many people getting touch with me on Instagram and Twitter about this and they say do you know what Lisa you've inspired me and I want to go and do it and I'm like this is brilliant that's what I live for and um, but be careful you don't do it too quick and what I say to people is you know what for the first five or six weeks just look for a dairy alternative to your milk and get your favourite milk sorted first because that within itself is the iron Don't oh, want yeah. almond milk, don't want rice, <laughs> don't want soy. Which, and the thing is, when you try them, they all make you feel slightly different anyway. So get that sorted. Then go on and look for a butter replacement, then a cheese replacement, and just take it day week by week and give yourself a 10 to 12-week transition period where during that time you've got all of your alternative sorted, you found your chicken alternative, you found your fish alternative, because they're all out there, rather than day one, Blitzing it go to the supermarket and inevitably what happens is people will go and buy crap then they'll have a terrible time and say oh my god how can people be vegan but it's because they've bought crap and they've not researched it because we can all be junk food vegans we can all be junk food people because junk food exists on any diet but it's about keeping it clean and keeping it whole food based. if you want that kind of beneficial uh, aspect to your sport and also to the environment as well
0: yeah i was just going to say just because you're vegetarian and vegan doesn't mean that you're healthy does it
1: no absolutely not absolutely not and that that is you know a lot of people come to me and say that and they say well do you eat unhealthy you know do you really have any snacks i never see you eating anything all healthy and i do try and put things on instagram but i don't want to bore people with my food all the time but um i do at the weekend i do relax it a little bit i am Fairly strict during the week, over the weekend, you know, I might have a vegan pizza or you might see me vegan ice cream or a vegan cookie, but I won't be doing that every single day of the week. I think that's where people fall down. They think, oh, it's vegan, so it will be healthy for me. I'll have it Monday through to Sunday. And then they're wondering why they're just getting health problems and stuff like that. And it's like it's like any diet, if you don't eat, uh, you know, clean, you're going to be really probably picking up a few problems along the way. Yeah,
0: totally great. I think it's also interesting, isn't it, that it's it's getting bigger and and it's the momentum's um, really taking off when you've got the fast food chains like Burger King taking on the impossible burger and what do you think of that whole side of of not just uh, the vegetarian um, burgers, but they're actually making um I don't know whether you've heard the making meat from petri dishes now uh, mm-hmm. what do you think of all that that science which in one sense, it's a bit strange and a bit weird and a bit alien, but on the other side, people who still want to eat meat, if they can go down that route, it's, it's going to be better for the environment and hopefully better for the animals, like, you know what I mean? It's not yeah. ideal, but it's better
1: yeah so you're talking about cell-based meats. so i mean it's, it's quite an interesting one personally it's not for me because no. i am quite an old school vegan and i won't even eat anything that remotely would taste like anything like meaty anyway because it would just knock me sick however for the flexitarians of this world or the new the new blood vegans that kinds of i call them new blood vegans that's just our marketing terminology and work but um but for the ones that really do like the taste, and you've got to you've got to accept the fact that some people like the taste. I think it is the best thing ever because if you can bring something that tastes amazing that doesn't involve mass slaughter, then it's it's a winning format for those kind of uh, people that want the steak or that want the the chicken, etc. So I think it's got a fantastic place. Um, Obviously, it's not for everyone, but then again, walking into McDonald's or Burger King and buying, uh, you know, a vegan meal isn't for everyone either. But again, for the new vegans that are coming out and that are making that transition, all of these things are making it a lot easier. And I'm a big advocate for anything in the marketplace that makes it easier for consumers to go on that transition journey, because anything that is going to impact on that, in terms of them taking away and not having to, to consume as much meat, obviously goes back in the chain to not having to kill as many um, animals. So it gets my it gets my vote completely. I know the grocer have been reporting on it recently, and quite a few of the uh, the food judges have have tried it and they've said that they think it's fantastic. So if they can nail the taste, then I think that that could be a perfect um, opportunity for the future, particularly with regards to the high consumption of meat. So people that are having meat sort of three to five times a week. I think it'd be a perfect opportunity to switch over
0: to that. Yeah. I think it's quite interesting. I was listening to a podcast of the creator of that impossible burger and he said, well, it's not for vegans and it's not for vegetarians. That's not what we're doing it for. We're yeah, actually doing yeah. it for the people who are currently eating meat and that's why they want it as near meat as possible. Uh, to, to get that away from so the, you know they don't have to start with actual animals you know because yeah. so that's that was his that was his rationale behind it so which i thought was yeah fair enough um because what's the point of giving yeah, something get, they've, they've done, done so, so well they
1: really have they've got some big contracts
0: yeah yeah and i think they're all starting obviously they were the first but they're all starting to look at alternatives now which can only really be good Um,
1: yeah totally so anything that that is going to mean that fewer animals uh to slaughter is is a big big tick in my book
0: absolutely perfect so how did so that was that's your you you started off vegetarian then you became vegan how did that um develop into a business then how did you get obviously you had all that background experience how did you decide which well first of all you can tell us a little bit about your business but how did you sort of get into the area that you're in Yeah,
1: it's quite um, a a strange one really, because um, I used to be a consumer of um, a a vegan licorice brand in the UK called Panda Licorice, which is actually one of the brands in my business now. Um, And I I actually love this uh, brand and I actually sent a speculative CV into... Uh, At that point in time, the the then managing director of Cedar Healthy with the distributors of Panda Licorice and just basically sold himself and said, you know, you're not going to get a better marketeer to work on this brand than someone that eats it every day uh, and understands the positioning, etc. Now, he brought me in and interviewed me and he said, I've got to be honest, I haven't got a a role for you, but because of your passion and your commitment, your dedication, I'm going to make a role. So... um, He made a role for me, and I joined Cedar Health, oh, God, back in, it was actually after leaving Premier Foods, so back in about 2006, 2007. And I worked predominantly on Panda Licorice, uh, which is distributed in most of the main supermarkets in the UK. And then my business uh, merged with another business called BBI Healthcare down in Wales. Um, and I was the marketing director, and my business partner to this day was the then sales director. So we started, Carl Morris's name as we started working together on all the plans for, for, for licorice, and it didn't really fit within the portfolio because it was primarily a medical business that just had this licorice on the side. Um, So I ended up working um, for Panda directly, uh, being based at Finland, looking after Scandinavian markets and the US and the UK and Canada, and doing all of their international marketing. And it was at that time that they approached uh, myself and Carl and said, you know what, because you work so well together and Lisa's got a good handle on all the marketing across uh, the western side of the world. We think that we'd like to just work with you guys. So we were fortunate in that when we set up your Foods in 2011, we started that game with the Panda Licorice contract. Uh, which back then was worth about two and a half million pounds worth of business in the UK. Um, So a huge, huge contract to have on board uh, when you start. So not really a normal setup where, you know, you're swimping and saving. Yes, we had to go over and do the loans. We had to take a hell of a lot of personal guarantees out and commitments and everything like that, which was scary, but necessary. Um, and then we started that business. For anyone who doesn't know, Euro Foods is um, basically a vegan distributor and a vegan brand builder. So we have our own brands and we distribute vegan brands and both of those kind of brands, uh, they all follow the same channel and we put them into the supermarkets um, and UK high street retailers, etc. But as time went on we decided well particularly myself um i was looking at the gaps in the market and getting frustrated by the fact that there wasn't any you know certain vegan confectionery and things like that so whenever there wasn't something on the market uh we went with uh, some very um patient people in the labs um to be able to get our product development uh kit sources and to be able to come up with some really good ideas for things that we knew people wanted Um, And for me, it was always an easy sell going and pitching all these products in front of any of the supermarkets. As a consumer for that category, it makes it very, very easy because you're passionate. You know what the gap is and you know how to believe in it. Um, And then it's just about putting some very, very cool branding around it, having some good marketing support and being able to support it in the trade, whether that's domestically on the UK market or internationally, um, because we do some business outside of the UK as well. Um, So it really came about from personal frustrations of seeing products or or seeing GAPS products on the market and thinking we can do better than this. So we built from Panda Licorice on to to all the brands that we've got a whole variety of brands. We've got CBD drinks brands for Leaf Life. We've got um, Sugar Free Gel and Free Confectionary, which is Free Farm Fellows. Uh, we have powdered peanut butter, the peanut hottie banner, um, and then we have a uh, vegan biscuits brand called Vegan Bakery, obviously, as well as Panda Licorice. So all of those brands, you know, we're trading with Sainsbury's, Alza, Tesco, Waitrose, TK Maxx, Honda Barrett Boots, all the big clients in the UK. Um, and, uh, you know, we're growing really well and we're growing as a business and also growing individually in the, in the channels within in the market. So it's, it's a very positive story, but it is for me because when we first started the business, a lot of people were saying oh you know do you really want to be going into this vegan market it's very niche and i'm not sure it's ever going to amount to anything uh and that was back in 2000 uh, 2011 and, and now uh you know turn the clocks forward 10 years later we have all the the main supermarkets actually physically ringing me up and ringing up the business for advice on how to arrange their vegan fixtures um and for uh uh you know kind of contributions to their magazines or whatever it may be um writing articles for them and keeping a very close knit community network to be able to push the vegan message out through the main supermarket network in the uk yeah
0: brilliant and to be honest you can only see it going from strength to strength can't you? the way the way things are going
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We're growing as a business. Uh, The market's growing. All of our brands are in growth. Um, And uh, yeah, every year that goes by, the January had its record number of um, uh, participants this year, just short of 600,000. That's growing every single year. It's expected to be the biggest ever next year. Um, so it's, it's the biggest food movement and it's the biggest food trend for, for a really long, long time. We've been tracking it now kind of with a very close eye for the last five years, particularly. And I've worked in confectionery, I've worked in soft drinks, I've worked in children's biscuits, worked in all the top FMCG markets. and Never have I ever seen such exciting growth. So uh, I can't complain for, for being able to work in such a versatile market. Yeah,
0: brilliant. It's like the perfect fit, isn't it? Everything that you've done has just come together. And it's just like, yeah. uh, that is the road and it's you're on it. And yeah, it's, it's quite amazing when you look at the whole picture. Uh, how it's come Absolutely. About. So that's really good. Second thing I want to ask you about is your book.
1: OK. Um, yeah, so I wrote um, the book Gone in 60 Minutes yep. um, back in, I think it was about 2010 and um, so so named because you can read the book in 60 minutes because one of the things that um i am appalled by and still appalled by it to this day and age is that if you are someone getting into fitness and if you just want to know that cut through all the crap and just know the things that make a difference in diet and workouts and supplements in how how to be yourself motivated you look at all these magazines, you look at all these books and journals, and they're all like this. I mean, just putting you off from day one, they are like, you know, 20 inches, uh, you know, massive books. And, and I thought to myself, why doesn't someone just do something that's a bite-sized saviour that you can just read through? It's got workouts in there. It's got a perpetual training calendar if you haven't got a coach and you want to look at that. Um, And it's not really aimed at the multi-sport community as such because we're all kinds of along the way with regards to, to knowing what we want to do it's aimed more so to the people that are probably trying to get off the couch and trying to get the toe in the market with regards to understanding what they can do to make a difference to their actual physiques, to their insides, and um, to their mindsets. Um, and rather than going in the gym and just plugging away for an hour on a cross trainer um, and, and having lost time and, uh, and not really understanding the effects of that on the stress hormones, of course, and all things like that, it basically delivers very easy to understand information over what you need to do with your diet, the supplements that you need to be looking at to make a difference, how you should be working out to get a good and to carve a good physique if that's what you want to do um, and to lose weight and to lean up, and more importantly how to stay motivated throughout it all um and it's just uh it's, it's a reference book that people can chuck in the gym bags um, a lot of people tag me in actually when they're in the gym because they take it to the gym with them and say oh, i'm doing your body blitz uh, workout or this, that, and the other, um, and it's just there as a reference to really, to really help people kind of uh, come to terms with the things that they need to do, and it's, it's full of some, uh, I'd say, controversial but research-proven shortcuts things that you can do to burn fat quickly things that you can do to get lean quickly and always the questions that people ask me always on on instagram and on twitter on facebook you know how do we burn the fat what is the quickest way to burn the fat so there's a lot of that in there um and there's some good case studies in there as well uh, of people that have worked with that have lost weight and that have managed to reduce body fat etc um because primarily originally when i first got into fitness i was always a cardio running and never picked up weights and I think there's a big stigma with that, a lot of women don't want to use weights because they think they're going to be bulky um, As if it um, was
0: that easy yeah, it,
1: it, it really, Exactly, if it was we'd all be on the bodybuilding stage winning, winning all cups <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think that it, it tackles that as well, and it, the importance of um, lifting weights, which I'm a big advocate of, and I know a lot of runners and other and, and, uh, like don't really kind of look at that area, but I lift weights three to four times a week minimum um and that really impacts and helps me with my running and my cycling and i like the buzz that i get off it anyway um and it keeps 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 all the muscles strong um and, and keeps me nice and lean as well so to be honest it, it covers all those kind of things the things that you want to ask but you don't know where to get that resource from it's all in the book
0: <gasps> Cool. right well we'll stick that on the uh on the show notes as well and and we'll put a link to your business and to your book and we'll get that get that out there for the people oh thank nice. you
1: well, the, the book itself is actually available on amazon uh, amazon.co.uk yeah. and
0: also on Smith as well oh, oh yeah i saw that when i had a look i'd look for it um good good stuff lovely to meet you lovely to speak oh, lovely to meet you yeah all right take care bye bye well what a fantastic journey lisa's had um and it's great to see somebody successful in the business life and the sporting life. And it's great to listen to somebody who's so passionate about their lifestyle, uh, Lisa's veganism and how she, it's right the way across her life um, from sporting to business to it's its all encompassing and it's, yeah, it gives us food for thought, I think. Um, and I really appreciate it when she said one step at a time, if, you, if you're looking to go down that path, because I think... Uh, they're wise words. So thank you once again, Lisa, for coming on the pod. Um, and I hope we can catch up some point face to face. And good luck with the race in November. I'm gonna I'm sure you're gonna smash it. So, on to the lifestyle hack this episode. And as I said earlier in the pod, it's about sprouting seeds. Um, and I've started sprouting seeds after listening to and doing a bit of research. Uh, i listened to a podcast and there was a guy on there and he was talking about how easy it was for one thing and the benefits um you get from these seeds once you've uh, sprouted them Um, so basically i got a couple of jars um, and they're on stands and they have like a drip tray a couple of tablespoons of seeds i usually use broccoli seeds and i'll discuss why in a moment um, so you put a couple of tables tablespoons of seeds in the jar and fill them with water and leave them for 24 hours to let them soak Um, and then you can either put them in a cupboard in the dark and let them sprout or you can leave them in in the light but not direct sunlight and um, yeah they can they'll sprout either way either in the cupboard in the dark or in the light so um, i've done a little bit of a a test to see which which is best Um, and they both sprout pretty much the same. However, the ones in the cupboard are a bit yellower. So you've got to take those out and put them on the windowsill for sunlight. And then they do eventually go green. So uh, very, very simple. The other thing you've got to do is you've got to wash them in the morning. So you've got to rinse them out and let them drip, drip dry. And also again in the evening. But if they're in your sight when you're washing the pots, on maybe they're on your windowsill like mine are, when you're washing your pots, after you've finished you just give them a rinse out and put them back on the drip stand and it's uh, it's great um, so yeah they're um, dead easy to grow and really really good for you and broccoli sprouts are supposed to be the most or one of the most beneficial um, because they're rich in phytochemicals um, especially in one in particular which is sulforaphane um, which is a phytochemical and the young sprouts are supposed to have 10 to 100 times more nutritional benefits than actually eating broccoli itself. Uh, they basically help reduce inflammation and 70% of all deaths are due to chronic inflammation uh, and scientists have deduced that sulforaphane is said to help detoxify, fight malignant cells and protect you Um, and there's all sorts of things that it protects your skin your eyesight your heart um, and it does this by inhibiting the production of inflammatory proteins and, and reduce oxidative stress so that's the life hack for this episode bit of food for thought and if you're interested give it a go give it a whirl so thank you once again for listening and that's it for episode 35. I hope you've enjoyed it and if you want to get in touch drop us an email at podcast at gmail.com You can follow us on Instagram at amp underscore 1967 We're on Facebook at ampgb You can get all the podcasts at agegroupmultisportpodcast.buzzsprout.com you'll find all the previous podcasts on there we're also on YouTube at AmpGB you'll find all the podcasts on there as well and you can also find us on Twitter at agegroupmultisportpodcast and I think that's about it I hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember stay safe Keep training and love the process.